called Let Me Tell You Something, where I, Lorca Mullen, and my co-host, Simon Cross, will discuss all the big issues surrounding professional wrestling. It can be from a particular wrestler, a particular era, a particular gimmick match. Whatever we feel like talking about, we will talk about. Don't be coming here for any of the up-to-date wrestling news, views, and interviews, but do come here if you want thorough discussions about the minutiae of professional wrestling. We put the we put the smart in Mark certainly. We're um, going for that approach where you know it's 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 not you know who beat who when. Mm. It's more why did they beat who and why did that why did that arc go that way with yeah. with that kind of person. Say for example, the Hell in a Cell pay per view comes up. We won't be talking about the upcoming matches or we won't be doing a blow by blow of the event after it happens. But we might do a discussion about the Hell in a Cell gimmick as an episode. You know, the match itself, and mm. cage matches in particular. Those sort of things. That, that's sort of the, the way that we'd be looking to go, and we hope that that's something that piques your interest too. So, I think just give us a quick introduction. My name's Lorcan Mullen. I'm a part-time comedian. I'm a, I've written a book called Confessions of a Smart Wrestling Fan, which will be shamelessly plugged throughout each and every episode for you to enjoy. Um... One of the interesting things about this show, or one of the things I hope you'll find interesting about this show, is that we might be coming from different perspectives, because we're from two different generations of wrestling fans, I would say. I'm 30 years old, so my age directly corresponds with the WrestleManias. I'm not saying I'm proud of that fact, but I am proud of that fact. And uh, I've been following wrestling since I was six and a half years old, back in 1991. And so I have over 20 years of wrestling fandom experience. Uh, How about yourself, Simon? See, this is where you and I, uh, this is where you probably might hate me slightly, Lorcan, in that regard. Because 1991 was the year I was born. And I didn't get into wrestling. (laughs) And wrestling never really hit me until about 11, 12-ish. It, I, I remember it specifically as a certain friend of mine, who I'll probably discuss in greater detail later, that opened my eyes to the world of wrestling. And it's from that point that it's it's grown and grown. Like a kindly tumour inside me, the love of wrestling has grown since that point. So you've got about 10 years under your belt as a wrestling fan, you would say? 10, I, 11 I'd years? say... Six of those is hardcore years. There was a gap briefly where it was purely access issues. I didn't have access to the content. Well, this is going to be what we're going to be talking about in this first episode. We decided let's get the introductions out of the way and let's make the whole episode be about a greater introduction into how wrestling was introduced to us and how we progressed as wrestling fans to the point that we feel like we can pontificate about it for at least an hour, at least every other weekend. So, 
Simon, let's just uh, break it down then. Um, I guess I'll go first since you were literally gestating in your mother's womb whilst I was uh, whilst I was first getting an eyeful of this colourful pad of the grapple fest. Yes, of the grapple fest, and. A lot of this is covered in my book, so I'm going to be recovering, rehashing old grounds for the three people that bought the book and might be listening to this. You, you say there was someone that became a big part of your life, uh, that, that was part of your life that introduced it to you. For me, I think it's the same for everyone. Everyone has that other person that introduced it to them as a gateway. Uh, for me, it was my cousin Matthew. And my cousin Matthew was the uh, closest thing I had to an older brother. So I kind of looked up to him. He was the oldest of our generation and I was the second oldest. So, you know, he was sporty and popular and cool, relatively speaking, as a 10-year-old compared to a 7-year-old. And he was a big fan of pro wrestling. He told me about Hulk Hogan and all the great achievements he would make, he'd made and all the people he would defeat. He told me with great confidence that he would beat Superman, He-Man, Optimus Prime, all of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. He would just defeat every single one of them. And then he informed me that Hulk Hogan himself had been defeated by the Ultimate Warrior. And just these names, just those names, Hulk Hogan, the Ultimate Warrior, those were enough to send a seven-year-old child's imagination wild. And he was telling me all these stories about their match and how long it went, and it was like this collision of two great gladiators. So even before I'd seen my first wrestling match, I had these images in my head of these two Goliaths. And then when you see the pictures of Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior, I mean, it even exceeds some child's wildest imaginations in a way, because no one would have imagined Hulk Hogan looking quite like that. Certainly wouldn't have given him the bald head. Uh, maybe the ult- maybe the ultimate warrior a bit close to what you might have imagined from that word from those words, but um, yeah, it was just that was what got me started. Just just secondhand stories about them and then pictures about them before I even saw any moving images, as it were. Uh, was that a similar thing for you? I'd say it was, but on a grander scale. I mean, oh, I- it has to be on a grander scale, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, I, I, I know the whole one mention thing, but. It was a specific, it was a friend of mine called Niall. He was like massively into his wrestling, wrestling, and like we were best friends, still are, like, you know, one, like, he's one of my oldest friends. And I knew him since like primary school, and he was always into it, his family was always into it, so that's how he got into it. But I would always hear about these characters, I never see them, because we, we only had the basic five channels at home. We we didn't have the internet. The internet came, I didn't get an internet connection until I was 16. Mm. So, I grew up hearing about these names and just hearing little snippets. And eventually, as my bro- like horizons got broadened due to the accessibility I gained, I learned more about wrestling. I learned more, like, you know, I read the reports. I never watched the action. I wasn't like, you know, I didn't really know much about downloading and streaming. Mm. So I never really got into it in that regard. So and what then, were we talking about here, just as a reference point? Who were the names that he was telling you about? What were these... What were the equivalents of being told about Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior? See, primary school, it was all Stone Cold Steve Austin. That was when he, when he was in his pomp. Because I'd have got, I'd have left primary school 2002, mm-hmm. which was just after I think Austin hit his white hot heat period. Yeah, so, that was, yeah, that was kind of the the fag end of the Attitude Era was probably that, and that mm-hmm. was also 2002. The uh, 
the year I left secondary school. So we're a whole generation of, of schools apart from each other, just to give a, a greater sense to the listener as to what we're talking about age-wise. Basically, seven years, I think, between the two of us. So that is a generation mm. of fandom for anything, really. Seven oh, years much. is kind of the defining gap, I suppose. Well, it's what they used for Seven Up documentary, so, you know... <laughs> Oh, I hope you're not actually on about actual 7-Up, like the life behind. No, but no, no, you've not seen the 7-Up documentaries. This is a hell of a diversion, but um, seek them out on YouTube. It's one of the it's the greatest documentary series ever. They started it back in 1964. Uh, they just plucked out all these kids from uh, primary schools at seven years old, and they were saying, show me the, there's this Jesuit saying, show me the man, show me a boy at seven and I will show you the man. So they asked all these seven year olds what they wanted to be when they grew up. And then just on a whim, they went back seven years later, saw them as 14 year olds. And then it just became a thing every single, every single seven years. Uh, they would go back and now the, the latest one was 56. And we followed the same 14 or so, uh, people from seven to 56. So. That was, sort of like Child of Our Time, but on a grander yeah, scale. Yeah, yeah. So that was... Uh, you'll get more of these sort of diversions, and hopefully we'll keep them as brief as possible. But, you know, we do think about things outside of wrestling, and actually one of the things with this podcast is we'll want to use uh, analogies and comparisons to worlds outside of professional wrestling. So that's where you've got a cultural reference there, and you should all go and seek it out. The 7-Up Documentaries, directed by Michael Apted. Yes. Right. Continue. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it was 2002, Stone Cold Steve Austin, you left uh, secondary school. Uh, you I left, left secondary school, school, and that was more my sort of thing at that point where I was thinking, you know, like wrestling is a cool, cool sort of thing I'd like to get into at certain points. But, you know, it, it never really grasped me purely because I didn't have the access to it. And it's not until the internet was a massive factor in my like, love of wrestling mm. when I could see what was going on week by week. So had you sat down with Niall ever at his place, or had he ever come over with a video, a VHS, or a DVD of wrestling? I mean, is it, you know, had there never been like, had you never been able to watch wrestling from like in motion? Had it always been images and and the? I'd seen it, but always as little snippets, like one off. Like he'd be watching a bit of pay per view by the time I came round, or something like that. Mm. I was because there was no like I hadn't invested in the storyline. I was never really invested in what was happening at the time. Which, of course, as we all know, is a fundamental component of wrestling. You can't just watch pay-per-views for the sake of pay-per-views. There has to be something behind it, or at least some knowledge of that. And um, as a result, I never really connected with it on a grand scale. I was just like, oh, that's something different, something cool. Mm. It's only when I was following it week by week that I learned why so-and-so. Like, for example, like uh, Cena Mm -hmm. was like, you know, outsmarted by Kurt Angle mm-hmm. in their famous rivalry back you know, we're talking back like 2007 sort of time 2006-2007 yeah mm. so that was that was the moment when you really started getting into it was it 2005-2006 <clears throat> sort of time well a different friend of mine like um, James he had like I started tape trading well not tape trading as in tape receiving as he'd taken yeah. me as a favour so I started seeing it you, could, you didn't really more. have anything to re- Return, I've got Aladdin, if you want mm. that. <laughs> yeah. I, I, had noth- I had literally nothing to offer in return. He did that purely out of the goodness of his heart. Mm. And he's the one... I'd say Noel was the one that planted the seed, and James is the one that, like, nurtured it. Yeah. Because it's he through that... He was the owner to uh, 
denials um, Obi Wan. Mm. Oh, yeah, exactly. Because it's through that that he actually like developed into something like you know we'd watch WrestleMania around his place and mm-hmm. things like that, and it developed from there. And as a result, I'm now the I'm now the one out of my friendship group that they refer to as the wrestling fan over him. Mm. So I've kind of that upsets either of them. Do you think Niles or James? <coughs> oh, no. the... oh, in terms of Niall, because it's different friendship circles. Niall's got me beat hands down. Yeah, no matter what. That Niall is the Oda of the two. Mm. Um, James is like an older Obi, like Obi Wan, who sort of you know knows his limits a little bit. Yeah, I'm. I, I've got. I've got. I've on par with him. I never beat Niall. I, I hands down accept that. He's like he's still watching. He's watching Dragon Gate and things of that nature. Ah, okay, cool. Well, yeah. maybe not cool. I don't know. It depends what your definitions of cool. His brother, his younger brother, actually, um, one of his tweets was reprinted in um, last in the current issue of FSM. Oh, magazine. So they're, they're they're kind of in the upper echelons. We'll have to have them as guests at some point in the future mm. on the show. Um, so I guess with me, it became a thing of uh, it, you know, just like you, I, I we didn't we couldn't afford Sky uh, at that point, and this was this was early early days of Sky. This was ninety one ninety. This was before they even got the Premiership. So basically, the only things that Sky had that you knew of, was that they had The Simpsons and they had wrestling. And I genuinely think that the rest, that the WWF has always been, was one of the top five, six reasons that Sky became the powerhouse it was. Obviously the football goes first, but I think the WWF is every bit as important to them and their relationship. And I think there's a reason that it's stayed pretty much as is for the past 25 years now. The WWF came at a time at a time when ITV Wrestling had finally gone off and there was this new version of it that was just, oh my God, this is so much bigger, crazier. Not necessarily better in in some terms, but definitely better on production values. And that was the kind of stuff that just captures it. You've got to think of what uh, what a seven-year-old Lorcan uh, is watching at this point. He's watching... Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. He's aware of Transformers, but Transformers never really did much for me. And He-Man. Biggest movie stars at the time are Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone. And it's these big inflated muscle-bound characters. Even the turtles were ripped, in a way. And that just all caught my imagination. And, and it was just through images, like, say... My cousin didn't have Sky either. Uh, my cousin Matthew got me into wrestling. He had a friend who had a vid- who had Sky, or he had a friend that had a friend who had Sky, or their neighbours had Sky, or whatever. And so it became just a chain of uh, video, three or four weeks to get my cousin's best friends, neighbours, dentists, cousins, copy of the wrestling, and for it to have gone through all those links in the chain before it got to me. So I was always a fair bit behind, but it was just. The characters, the images, and the violence. That's the kind of stuff you love, because it's you, because what are you doing? You're taking your pillows, or you're taking your younger brothers and sisters, and you're recreating the moves on your bed. That's what you want to do. Oh, yeah, against the better advice of, of, of course, the industry. Well, against the legal covering their asses of the industry, mm. I think is what it always is. That's always been my policy about health and safety talks yeah. wherever I'm at, at work. You don't care about our health and safety so much as you care that we can't sue you. You know, that's why I think those um, those images you got, because um, back in the day, 
uh, we got. Did you ever get to rent any videos or, or um, go to Blockbusters or your local video store and, and rent any of them? Or was that I see, in terms of physically seeing it, it was my local library weirdly oh, yeah. had two pay per views on DVD, and I think I was the one that rented them the most. Yeah, which ones it were they? Was, it was an insurrection, like you know, one of the yeah, UK only pay per views they do. Uh, I think it was like 2001, and it was Survivor Series. I can't remember the year. I know the matches. It was the one where Undertaker fought his buried alive match against Vince. So that was would that have one. Been 2000 and 2003, I Three. believe. Yeah, 2003 sounds right. Because that yeah. was when he was then. That was the final match of Biker Taker, and then he came. Biker Taker. As Before he came back to the undead character. Yeah, yeah. So that would have been 2003. Yeah. Mm. So. Now that's interesting because, like, with me, uh, I, I pretty much got to rent all the major pay per views between like 1988 to 1992 at some point or another in, in blockbusters or in uh, choices titles. They were my local video stores, but I didn't necessarily watch them in any logical order. It <sighs> would be like Royal Rumble 1990. One and then it would be WrestleMania five, which was in 1989, and then you'd switch to SummerSlam '88, and then you'd go forward in time again to the Survivor Series 1992, and it was just trying to fit in those gaps, fill in those gaps, and try to remember what happened in the pay per view that was before that, and then maybe try and remember what happened in the pay per view after that, after that, to get a gist of why were the natural disasters suddenly good guys. Why was why was Macho Man now the Macho King? And, and you were able to just about piece it all together because this was before the internet where you could just look on a Wikipedia entry page to get to figure mm. out exactly who was what, what, where, when and how. So those were the only two that you got to watch and you watched them both. Like with me, I owned the 1989 Royal Rumble, the WrestleMania Ten. SummerSlam 92 and 93 and the 1993 Survivor Series. And those five videos I watched a lot. See, those those videos that you had in your collection explains your backing of Bret Hart a lot. Because mm-hmm. that is Bret Hart's pomp. Yeah, the, for, for, new, for people who don't know, Bret Hart is, was and always will be my favourite wrestler of all time. And I think that that is a Doctor Who sort of thing. You know how they say, like, your favourite Doctor is the one that you grew up with. For me, that would be Gan. Mm. There was only one Doctor Who when I was at the appropriate age to watch Doctor Who. Maybe for a lot of people, your favourite wrestler will very often be someone that was around there during your key m- period mm. that like put you over from just being someone who just watches it. You know, like I, don't, I haven't watched all the follow-up Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or whatever, but I have kept up with wrestling. And maybe it was because of Bret Hart that that did it for for me, and that will mean Bret Hart is and always will be my favourite wrestler. Is that a similar thing with you? Is there a particular... Like, who is your favourite wrestler, if you have one? Ah, it's tough. In terms of favourite wrestler or favourite... In terms of ability, mm. in terms of outright, you know, what he can do in the ring, mm. it is Shawn Michaels. I'm a Michaels guy over Hart. Um, yeah. Many reasons. Hart wasn't around when I was getting into it, whereas Michael's was. Exactly. So there's that emotional impact of it being when you were really getting into it. An element of that, and I was more compelled to look at his back catalogue because he was still around. Yeah. So, you know, I therefore lent more towards his back catalogue, you know, his favourite match against Austin. Mm. You know, with Mike Tyson, a special enforcer, purely for the way they sort of mirrored that. 
almost yeah. 10 years on with Floyd, the Money Mayweather. Mm. Albeit in a different way. I, I personally think Floyd's was more clever because uh, he was more of an active participant. But. With, okay, yeah. Was that kind of when you were like at your peak of interest as well? Then that sort of, what was that, WrestleMania 24? Was that... Uh, 24 was one I actually like, you know, sat down and watched. Um, it's sort of 22, 23 is when I got back into it. I dipped a little and I missed, I think, was it 25 and 26? Mm-hmm. But 27 onwards, I've pretty much watched nearly every Raw from that period and every wow. SmackDown. Cool. See, that, that, yeah, I, I don't think... Now, if we're talking about dips... Mm-hmm. I don't know, I guess my period of dip of interest in the WWE coincided with the peak of my interest in, like, Ring of Honor. So I've never not been fascinated or been into wrestling, but it's never always been the same promotion. So that would have probably been around 2002 to 2005-06, and that was also the time when I was at university, so I didn't really have access to the WWE anyway. Mm. Uh, I much preferred the Ring of Honor products. I preferred the storylines. I preferred the wrestling. And I didn't mind the production value so much. So again, like with that, I ordered the first five shows on VHS. And my first year at university, I would very often be watching either The West Wing or Futurama on DVD. Or I'd be watching one of those five shows on VHS and going through that loop all the time. When I wasn't going out partying and talking and snogging girls, which of course I did tons of times, not just like three. <laughs> and, and and so I, I've never had a, a, a valley. I've never had a, a, a trough. But I guess I've had a trough for like interest in the WWE, and I think that's first and foremost with most wrestling fans. They will always whether they like to admit it or not, be defined, at least in, in, you know, the Western world, by their interest or who their favourites are in the WWE. I think everyone who's a wrestling fan in America and Britain and Europe, if their favourite wrestler wins the WWE Championship at WrestleMania, that will be one of their favourite moments ever, whether they like to admit it or not. And that's kind of getting towards the, the Daniel Bryan sort of fan or the CM Punk fan. And they'd be lying if they said that when they won the championships, that wasn't like one of their top five moments ever or something like that. Not necessarily top five. So I'm going to get quite accusatory as the show goes on, probably. And uh, if we ever get a following, I'm sure I'll be the one that gets more Twitter abuse than than you do. Myself, yeah. yeah. We can make it a competition, if you like. <laughs> it's not really a prize you'd want to win. but I've No, seen not really. Here's the golden turd covered in on fire. And it's not proud of me to admit, but my trough was different to your trough in the fact that I lost interest in the overall product when mm-hmm. I lost interest in WWE. Mm-hmm. And it's only since I returned my interest that I started expanding my horizons to okay. Ring of Honor, to TNA briefly, back when TNA had at least enough wrestlers in it who cared still. And we're talking like, you know, 2010, like 2009 sort of period, before mm-hmm. writing browbeat them into what they are now. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to get into a whole overarching rant about that cuz no, it's not <laughs> worth it's not worth the time or energy. <laughs> no. Um so what was it was there a trigger point was there an event did you catch something on the telly was it the CM Punk pipe bomb was it you know cuz that seemed to be that seems to have been a, a key moment in the sort of um, redefining the the place that the wrestling fan has in pop culture was that CM Punk pipe bomb. Um, 
and I think that's what brought a lot of people, not necessarily back, but kind of out of the closet. Because there were yeah. podcasts that I would, I would listen to that weren't to do with wrestling, that was to do with like TV or film, and they would talk about the CM Punk pipe bomb. And I was wondering, was it an event like that? Because I guess it was 2009, 2010, maybe a bit too early for that. But was there, was there a moment that, that was like, I'm going to get back into this? I'll tell you what it was. It was a first year of university. And, uh, Riley's, who was lit, who were literally like 100 meters down the road from me. Is that um, your local snooker club? It was, it was, it was literally down the road. It was like less than 70 steps mm-hmm. to get to Riley's. And they were advertising the Rumble. And it was the 40 man Rumble, the one where, uh, Dal Rio uh, won. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, I've not watched in a while. You know, my first year, I've not got commitments or anything like that. I'll buy a ticket, you know, just to just see if, what it's like these days. Mm. And I fell in love with it all over again in the three hour period. Mm. Any like, you know, sort of, oh, it's, it's there now. It's, you know, it was, a, it was a part of my, that went in a three hour period. Yeah. And even though if you look at that rumble, I mean, the punk did play a good part in it. Mm. Um, and that he was had the his, Nexus Punk, right? It was it was new Nexus Punk, and that was a brilliant aspect. But sort of even like the chemistry and uh, like because new fans when they see the first event, they they are way behind, and even out the loop, lapsed fans less so, but still. Mm. Were there things that surprised you? Were there like, oh, he's still there, or oh, what's happened to him? He got fat, he got thin, you know. Mm. Was there a- the fact that Hornswoggle was still a thing? Because <laughs> there was a scene of Hornswoggle Alliance, I think. Yeah. My mate, who he'd still is. Hello? So I'd say. Um, yeah, he loved the scene of Hornswoggle thing, and he loved it because it was a midget. Mm-hmm. Like, no two ways about it. Yeah. But it's that gateway, or he got into it through that. I remember um, when we went, his girlfriend was like, oh, what are you going to do? You're going to watch wrestling, are you? And it's like, and I was like, whoa, well, calm, calm down. Because I was like, you know, it's something I used to love. Wrestling's yeah. cool. You know, and I already said it, but I didn't really feel it. Mm. Whereas now, if the same conversation occurred, we're like, screw you, this is what I like, sort of thing. Mm. I'm definitely more a proud wrestling fan than I was. Mm. Because uh, now I've like come back into it. Do you think it could have been any event that could have triggered that? Like if you'd have watched WrestleMania 27 that was on a couple of months later, or if you'd have watched the Elimination Chamber match in between, uh, do you think that would have sparked it? Or do you think it might have been that particular event that... I mean, there's no better reintroduction to wrestling than one match that shows you the 40 theoretically most important characters on the show and has some pretty compelling narratives being told throughout. Because, you know, we'll dedicate a whole episode to it, but I think the Royal Rumble is kind of the best that North Americans, the North American WWEized version of professional wrestling can be when it, when it gets it right, you know? in that kind of interlocking storylines and, and mm. you know, kind of... It's kind of like their version of the Avengers, you know, all these different storylines and characters coming together to one match, you know? See, I, I have a slightly different tilt on that, which I think when, when we've got the full time to give it justice, I'll go into more. Mm. I'd say it had to have been one of the big four. Mm. If it wasn't a SummerSlam, if it wasn't a WrestleMania, if it wasn't a Survivor Series, mm. and you know, if it wasn't the Royal Rumble that it was, I think it might have had a bit of an adverse effect. I still think I would have got into it, but 
it would have been more of a slow burn. Mm. So when when you went so after that event, was it like you you raced home and then you downloaded a bunch of or you you found your way to watch a bunch of uh, old shows? You wanted to read back up on everything, or was it just ah oh, just watch Raw and just try and catch up as I go along? See, my flatmate was always more comfortable with torrenting than me, so I'd usually end up watching his torrents. And then um, I started torrenting during the summer break because I'd got into it by then. So when I was at home, I started torrenting. By second year, we'd justified it amongst ourselves that we managed to work out a Virgin Media package. <laughs> so I had, it, I had it on TiVo. Okay, cool. Uh, so for the next two years, it was on TiVo, no problem at all. And by so that was that point, just the wrestling and football, and that's pretty much all you watched in that house for a year? Um, there were other things too, but like he like. <laughs> He was Game of Thrones, he was all that sort of thing. I hadn't got into Game of Thrones by then, so I wasn't pulling my weight in terms of what I'd paid, ultimately, because it was just sport and wrestling for me. Yeah. It's since changed now, because since then I have got into, latterly, Game of Thrones and things of that nature. Mm. Um, Arrow as well, uh, Mm. a little bit, so... I haven't watched Arrow yet, I keep meaning to... Mm. It is. I've only seen the first season. I've not seen the second. I just find, um, I've, I'm always found Green, I've always found Green Arrow and Hawkeye and those sort of characters fascinating because this is a world beyond our comprehension. You know, there's technology far in advance. You know, the Iron Man suits and and then you've also got superheroes like Thor's and Superman. And yet these guys have decided that they're going to go back to a 12th century form of combat in order to fight crime, you know? Yeah, I know <laughs> you mean. I love they're like the hipsters of the superhero <laughs> world, you know? Oh, no, I know what you mean. It'd be, it'd be like it'd be like a it'd be like a wrestler coming out now and it's mm. finished a whole being like an atomic drop, you know. <laughs> See, Arrow does it well because it explains a why he like got good with the arrow and b therefore why he continues to use it. Mm. It is covered. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm sure it is. I just find it amusing as a mm. person who's like, you know, I've got my geeky proclivities, but I don't necessarily, you know, I don't need to read loads of comic books. I'll just see the movies and read up on it and then read Watchmen and that's pretty much me covered on that front you know it's like I've seen the Star Trek movies I've never watched one of the I've never watched a full episode of Star Trek you know and that's not me being proud of it that's just a fact and you know maybe one day I'll I'll change that maybe I'll do a binge on Next Generation or Deep Space Nine or something but I've got too much wrestling to watch you know See, yeah, I know what you mean, especially when the network drops next month. Oh, yeah. God, that's going to kill us. Cause I think it's terms of productivity. Like, to just go back quickly as to why I think, like, for me, the reason I've stayed with wrestling throughout the whole term, I've never gone back. And I don't know if wrestling maybe is, like, if you would say that's your number one geek habit or what have you. Or no, I'd say, I'd say it is. I'd say okay. that's the geek, that the nerdiest thing, especially even amongst like other people you'd call conventional nerds. Mm. Conventional nerds look at you mm. like you're a nerd. Yeah, I know. It's, it's frustrating. It's like, it's like this great line Kevin Smith said at a comic con when like loads of people were booing the Twilight movies. And he said, oh, sh- how dare you? How dare you boo someone else? <laughs> he said, Comic Con's the only place I can see, I can go to, where some guy's dressed as Chewbacca and then looks across and sees some guy dressed up as Spock and goes, look at that freaking geek. What a loser, you know? But it's like, um, the, the, just, but the, maybe geeky was the wrong way of putting it. I think that this is something that I think in particular is true with men, but it, it also can apply to women, but I think it's, specifically true with pretty much every man that I know, 
we retain at least one thing that we were into as a kid through to our adult life as a means of knowing that we're still that person, you know, that we still have that connection to that seven-year-old, eight-year-old version of us, you know, that like mm. the earliest memory of themselves. So, like, for me, it's things like wrestling to an extent, you know, it's also football and, I guess, movies, but I never really got into comics. Like, the comics I read as a kid were, like, Beano and things like that. Uh, sci-fi, I didn't watch, Doc, you know, we didn't get Doctor Who, so it wouldn't have been Doctor Who. You know, Red Dwarf was what I was really into for a time there as a kid, but then it just got crap in Series 7, so that kind of died out with me. But with wrestling, it's always there. So I'll always know that that, you know, that kid who had the Bret Hart poster in his room and that read the WF magazine and that went into blockbusters and, and video stores just to look at the covers of the wrestling events, not even the ones he was watching, but just like looking at the covers and seeing that there was a show where Sting tag teamed with Robocop, or at least that's what the video <laughs> cover would tell us. Just knowing that that person's there, like, I guess for you it would also be football, and maybe, you know, like some people it might be fantasy literature, or what have you, you know. I think for me it's wrestling, and it's football, and it's movies, and like for the teenage version of me it's music, um, I don't know, would that be, would you say that's the same with you, and the wrestling would fall under that, um, see... I had the lull. Um, the lull was mainly when I was in college. I, you know, I was too busy doing uh, other things, like expanding my horizons in that regard. Oh, um, nice. But <laughs> not having a go at anyone, not saying you should do that or anything. I, I read, I read a couple of books whilst I was at university. All right. It all wasn't right. all just The West Wing. <laughs> Sometimes I turned up for lectures, the ones after about two p.m. You know. Oh God! It says. That says a lot about you that you were like, you know, just about the West Wing. Mine was like the in-betweeners season three. That was the main thing during really? first Season year. three? I bloody hated season three. It's what made me think the movies might be crap, but then they turned out to be good, you know? Latter season three. Mm. I think the last episode especially was a letdown, but they redeemed it with the movie. Yeah, yeah. I'll Not the to... main issue, however. So. No, so. Um, Go on. Yeah. I know, in terms of... Because I had the lull where I didn't watch it for a while. I never really had the furrow connection. So, in a way, it's allowed me to view it a lot more. I guess I'm a lot more now, I'm a lot more of a, sm- like a smart mark now than I would have been if I'd watched it all the way through. Yeah. I think the lulls made me a lot more cynical. And it's lot, it made me see like how it's, how it's seen on the outside world. I get that a little. Because for a brief period, I was an outsider. Then I got yep. back into it. Mm. And I think that's that. That's uh, it's a great position to be from because we've got a group like where we are, where I live in Leicester. There's a pub that does the pay per views, and you can watch the pay per views in a pub. Mm. So you get the pub atmosphere. And there's a group of five of us that always go, and two two of them are friends of a friend of mine called Danny, and they've they've got into it, and obviously we've like you know enlarged our group to accommodate them, sort of thing. Mm. And so they're new fans, so I'm starting to see them develop the cynicism now. And it's like, well, I used to be the fresh-faced youngster, and now I can see you becoming where I am now. And it's interesting to see how they go for the transition of fandom, how they view the whole industry, and how much they go into it in terms of depth. 
So like their was their favorite wrestler John Cena until you clued them in that he he's not <laughs> he's not a great worker or something. Is is that how they've been changing? Have they have they changed what they what they're looking for in wrestling, or are they kind of aware of the backstage? Elements? They've sort of got to the point where I have now, where they accept Cena for what he is, which I think any fan, smart or not, has to. Mm-hmm. Is he's there? He's going to be there. It's how they use him that you have to have the um, like the, you know the complaint with the umbrage with. Mm. I mean, I don't know about you, but I personally had a great issue with the way they've used him in parts recently. Mm. I didn't agree with the booking of the SummerSlam match. Mm. I think it went too far. Okay, we're talking about the Brock Lesnar match where he got the crap kicked out of him. Mm. I think they went way too far with that, and as a result. Now they're like, you know, backpedaling so much they've had a detrimental effect on other stars. I mean, I know we're going a bit too into modern. Yeah, we're going a bit too into the modern day here, man. We want this to be something that anyone can pick up at any point. That's why I had to specify mm. the Brock Lesnar SummerSlam, because there may be three or four SummerSlams after that one that they've, uh, that have been and gone before someone's finally tracked mm. I, I know we want to have the time like, as well. Like issue one of Action Comics, you know? Um, but, um, but, my, but the core point not, was, my basic question is, like, Looking at looking at those you know naive newish eyes, what did they like and what didn't they like when it started? When they first came in, I mean, I tell you tell you one star that drops more than Cena, Sheamus. Mm. Uh, sort of like you know the they mid- started not liking Sheamus quite quickly. It's yeah. the mid it's the mid carder that everyone seems to be forced to like. It's not the franchise player. Because mm. we've seen it all with, you know, previously Austin. Mm. Austin might have had his detractors, but they accepted he was Stone Cold Steve Austin. Mm. Hogan definitely had his detractors in terms of, like, you know, he wasn't the greatest ring worker. Mm. Especially, well, not what we saw of him over here. In Japan, he did something slightly different. Yeah. But he had his detractors. Cena has his detractors. But I think the smartest of those detractors accept him for who he is and what he is. Mm. And they went from the guys who were like, oh, well, why is this guy wrestling? Like, he's not that good, sort of, to, okay, I get he's wrestling for this reason. However, I would like to see this and this and that. So they didn't like John Cena when it started? They liked, they liked the idea of John Cena. Um, then, then he started wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> when they saw him. That, that changed it quite quick. Not instantaneously, but over like the course of a month or two. Their opinion dramatically changes mm. a lot. Considering he is a franchise player, mm. that's not really what the WWE overarchingly wants. No, it's the new it's the new eyes that they want uh, always, and they want the new mm. eyes to like who they tell them to like, basically. Which is well, they're still Rob fans. Cena, which is um, so they have gained fans, mm. but it's not. For but they're not of they're not of John Cena. They're of the WWE in general or yeah. wrestling in general. So whether he's a gateway drug. Uh, like glue or you know something of that nature well you know like it was for me it was Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior you know it's kind of like put it this way like I'd love to be able to say that the first record I ever bought was Pulp's Different Class but that was the second album I ever bought the first album I ever bought was PJ and Duncan's aka Psych you know because (laughs) that was what got me into that was one of the things that got me into music or got me into listening to a whole album Mm. You know, because I, you know, I didn't just listen to Let's Get Ready to Rumble. I listened to Tonight I'm Free 94 and Our Radio Rocks. Um, but, you know, 
that was what got me, that gets you into music and then your tastes kind of change and they get nuanced. Maybe some people would argue you get influenced by outside opinions about what's supposed to be cool or not cool. And, and some people would say it sounds you because that's one thing I'm interested in asking you. Because you're saying now your view is more cynical. Do you miss not being cynical? Oh, Do you prefer this mindset as a wrestling fan or your old mindset as a wrestling fan? It seems it's going to sound like a cop out, but there's pros and cons to it. Mm-hmm. The pros are I can see the un- underappreciated workers of our time, and I can appreciate them for what they are and what they're trying to do. The Tyson kids, the uh, I'd say the Dolph Ziggler's, the Dolph Ziggler's uh, Tyson, yeah. kid. Tyson kid definitely, especially now he's in NXT currently. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't. I'm trying to avoid time dating, but you know, At he's taking back time, his step. He's currently feuding over the NXT Championship with Adrian Neville, Sam mm. Zayn, and what's the other lad's name? Um, boy, Tyler Breeze. Tyler, Tyler Breeze is. Tyler Breeze. Oh, that's a talent enough, but mm. you know, another day, another time. Mm-hmm. Um, but those guys, that, that you know, that, that, that Tyson seems on the downward trajectory compared to those guys who are on the upward. Mm. But Tyson's a very good worker. I appreciate what Tyson does. Mm. Uh, Dolph, I appreciate what Dolph does, but you know, you hear the internet rumours as to why he's being held back or mm. why no one agrees with him, and you just think, but does he's that, so good. Does that mean that you can't enjoy a Dolph Ziggler match like you would have done five years ago, regardless of whether or not he lost or won? Because if he lost, you're like, well, that's because he's being held back and they don't realise how big a talent they have. Whereas back five years ago, you'd have just been like, man, that was an awesome match. Mm. I wish Dolph Ziggler had won because he was the good guy, not because he always has three and three-quarter star matches at a minimum. Born to Dave Meltzer and things of that nature. Yeah, Yeah, there's a good point, and it's it's... I was listening to another. I was listening to a yeah, more established podcast earlier. I was listening to Stone Cold Steve Austin's, mm-hmm. and it was uh, part of his recent Mick Foley interview. Mm-hmm. And Mick Foley was like talking about um, his son was watching a Dolph Ziggler match, and he's like, "It's good, but I know he's going to lose because he's Dolph Ziggler." Yeah, and it's that that I'm most down about. Now I'm a cynical fan. I can't just look at it and think, "Well, he might win." Mm. I know he's probably not going to because there is a fixed position in the card. Of for him and in so, that sense in terms of anyone can beat anyone that's gone for me so if I'm you never going to get that back if you could snap your fingers and erase that part of your mind like eternal sunshine of the spotless mind that smart marky aspects of your psyche would you do it I'd say no because mm. as much as I do hate that aspect and I do I hate not being surprised as much as, much as the WWE wants me to be Mm. And they still try bless them, and they still catch me out every now and again. Like mm-hmm. you know, I'm not going to say I've you know, oh, I I knew that all along. It's not the case. But that part I don't enjoy. But the part that I know why X and Y, I can appreciate the slow build a lot more. Mm. It's the, the whole Daniel Bryan thing. Yeah, I appreciate that now. I wouldn't have appreciated that as much five years ago. It's like, well, you've clearly not listened. I'm out, sort of thing. It's like, well, you've not you might have just out. stopped watching. It's well, not stopped li- watching. Just well, checked out. Well, possibly stopped watching if I was story mm-hmm. But I wouldn't have been as emotionally involved in the storyline as I would have been compared to now. Can I tell you uh, the moment that the, there were a couple of moments that kind of changed it for me? Kind of changed what I am as a wrestling fan. One was probably well. Basically, in 
1997, at the end of 1997, start of 1998, Sky did a drive to get more people to subscribe to them. And so what they did was they knocked off the installation fee, which was in order to install a satellite dish in your house, you had to pay something like 100, 150 pounds. And this is 15 years ago, so that's a lot more money then than it mm, is now. That is these days. Yeah. Um, and that would always put my parents off. But this was, it was free. That was free installation, and then you got Sky, and I don't know, they were getting divorced soon anyway, so they probably wanted to keep us quiet. <laughs> so... That came in 19... So, the first Raw I saw on telly on Sky Sports 3 was the start, the build-up to the 1998 Royal Rumble. And that was pretty much around the time the WF had to press the reset button anyway, because it was post the Montreal Screwjob, which I didn't know about at that point in time, you know, because I would just kind of flip through some of the magazines in WH Smith's, I'd occasionally mm. buy them, uh, like the PWI 500, or the Inside Wrestling Tournament, uh, Computer Tournament, or See, uh, big, occasional... big events like, like that, they define wrestling eras in terms of enjoyment, because yeah. um, you came in just post Screwjob, yeah. I came Perfect in... Timing. Just pre-Pipe Bomb. Mm. My friends came in post-Pipe Bomb, but they got back to that, and they love CM Punk. Even though they didn't see nowhere near as much of CM Punk as I did, they love him for it, and that's because that's the thing they had to hark back to to get you know a handle on recent, you know, relatively recent events. You had the screw drop. Yeah. So I was the that was what it was. It was getting back into the Attitude Era, and then also getting to watch WCW when it was kind of towards kind of towards the dying days of the WCW. Actually, like the first Nitro I saw was the one immediately after Starcade '97, where you know Sting had won the WCW title, and that should have been the logical conclusion of the NWO. But then it all just went to pop. But it was kind of. That was the height of the Monday Night Wars when they were both powerful. They were both bringing in big ratings. Goldberg was building up in WCW. Jericho, that first that show I saw, Jericho lost to Kurt Henning, and I think that was the first sign that he was going to go heel. It's weird you remember these little things. Like the first angle I saw of Raw was Goldust coming out as the New Year's baby, uh, uh, challenging Stone Cold to a match. Stone Cold turning up, this like bringing like a a, a portaloo into the ring, smacking Goldust in the face with it, then doing a stunner, and then just, he would come out for the next few weeks in the build-ups to the Royal Rumble, and just randomly turn up in the middle of a match, and Stone Cold stunner one of the guys who's going to be in the Rumble, and then run off, and it was just this madness, this anarchy, that was just like, what the hell is going on? You know, this was this a completely different version to the wrestling that I'd always seen on the videos, you know, that, that two or three year gap that I'd never been able to catch up on, I was finally caught up on, and it was just, it was mental, it was craziness, and it was wrestling, and it was a weird thing, wrestling had always, wrestling has always catered to me, up until John Cena, wrestling was catered to me as a child, when it was Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior, it kind of catered to me as a nerd into the sort of stuff, because no one else was into it, so it was kind of more wrestling based, with Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels for the most part, and then it was catered exactly to my teenage person that liked violence and loudness and, and rebellion. Oops, and rebellion, you know. And then suddenly John Cena came along and they decided they were going to appeal to the seven-year-old kids again. And for a lot of people my age, it was kind of, what the hell? He's not who I want as champion. This hasn't happened before. What's going on? Mm-hmm. 
And that was, and, and that kind of detached it, and so that's when I went to Ring of Honor, because that was a promotion that was catered specifically towards me. And I'll tell you, that was, and again, like, 98, I get, I, I, then I watched the Hell in the Cell match, with Mick Foley being thrown off a cage, people are talking about it, at, people are talking about it at school all of a sudden, you swap in videotapes, then ECW starts to go on TV, and you start to get videos of ECW, and you're trading them around, and then I start buying Power Slam magazine, and then sometimes in the school library I'm allowed to go online, so I go onto WrestleZone.com and mm. read all these crazy rumours about wrestling, and then, you know, it was this perfect, you know, I was in, I was in a perfect timing, you know, I was very fortunate. Malcolm Gladwell could write a whole article about how fortunate I've been as a wrestling fan as far as timing goes, you know. Um, and so, I'll tell you the moment that changed it again for me. Big moment, and I told the guy, because I managed to meet him a, a couple of times last year. It was a Ring of Honor show I got on DVD, and I was watching it, and it was my third year at university. I was at my peak of sort of snooty, wrestling's all about star ratings, and the WWF only pushes big guys, and they're all steroid monsters, and I don't care about it anymore, and that's why I'm into Ring of Honor, and that's why I'm into Japanese wrestling and things like that. You know, just like a, just like a film snobs into indie yeah. movies and foreign movies, and won't give, you know... Won't, well, we know the won't, type, yeah. Won't bring themselves to admit that the best film of this year, obviously the Lego movie, you know, but, um, and and so it was kind of, and and it was CM Punk and Colt Cabana against the Briscoe Brothers, and it's Ring of Honor. It's a main event for the tag team championships. It's all very serious, and it's going to be a four and a half star match. And then Colt Cabana does the charging shoulder block thing with Jay Briscoe, the stand to a go to a standstill, and then he says, "Come on, do it again, do it again." They do it again. Just go on, another one, another one. And Jay Briscoe goes to run, and Colt Banner just trips him over. And it was in that moment that I laughed, and it like expelled this whole tension inside of me. And it suddenly a light bulb was ri- not not didn't go off. It had kind of flickered, and suddenly it had gone back on again. Wrestling is supposed to be fun, and that's kind of where I've always I've always been able to keep a certain amount of emotional detachment on the smarky side of it since then. I still enjoy a five-star match as much as the next person, and it, it upsets me that Dolph Ziggler's not the WWE champion many times over in many ways. But I've been able to get that detachment, uh, and, and that was what was able to get me back into the WWE. And I've always been able to accept John Cena's position, for the most part, in the main event. Of course it needs some refreshing every now and then, and it can be frustrating, but I've never blamed John Cena for that. And I've never really blamed Vince McMahon for that because I think ever since the Austin Heel turn didn't work out, he's just he's, and and I don't think Vince McMahon has another Attitude Era in him. I don't think he does. I don't think he wants to have that moment where they go all supernova only to crash down again and be in front of five hundred, seven hundred and fifty crowds. I think he wants to sustain ten thousand fans. Uh, at all the events they go to, except for WrestleMania, and that's it. I don't think he wants to be the... I don't think you can be anyway with with the fracturing of culture anyway. I was going to say, with what um, wrestling is in terms of its fandom status now... It just kind of treads water, I think. Mm. And that's, Which is what it needs to, because yeah. there's nothing really to go against it. But no, there's nothing like... Yeah. You, you raise a valid point there. I mean, I... 
I can't remember, I can't pinpoint the exact moment, but I learned to accept some segments for what they are, you know, the comedy sort of thing. Like, you know, the, there's, there's parts of the show that are there to make me laugh, and they're not there to make me, like, you know, grade them, and they shouldn't be. You know, you're right, the fundamental part of this, this is supposed to be fun. We're not all meant to sit with our booking pencils in the crowd going, X should, you know, X wrestler should be beating Y wrestler because, and it should lead logically to this. Every match needs to be a minimum three and a half stars. It Mm. it just doesn't. If everything's three and a half stars, then what does it mean when a match is five stars, you know? Really, there should only be, like, maybe... Maybe the WWE should really only have maybe five matches a year that are like have the potential to be five star classics. Really, for it to mean anything, mm-hmm. you know, it's just like if you have like the, they they now have too many ladder matches, so nothing means anything. If you have weirdly, if you have too many amazing matches, it can kind of you know all bleed into one. I don't even know where to start with the G one climax. You know, it's just. And I'm sure it'll be amazing, but it can kind of be too much of a good thing, you know. You can't have you can't have pizza for every meal, uh, as much as I've tried in the past. <laughs> so oh, in time. terms of yeah, in so. terms of um, the fast pace and things like that, you're right. There's got to be for every pizza meal, you've got to have a salad or yeah. you know like something with vegetables in it. Mm. And it's the same with wrestling. Like if everything was good, how do you know what's bad? And yeah. Thankfully, WWE are so wonderfully inconsistent yes. in their quality that following them as a company means that you still can recognise good when you see it yeah. because you can recognise bad when you see it, surely. Mm. And a lot of the time, they know when it's bad as well. A lot of the mm. time, they genuinely do because half the time, they get Michael Cole and Jerry Lawler and JBL to just rip the piss out of it as much as people are doing on Twitter. Oh, social media and yeah. I think- wrestling. I think the key thing as a wrestling fan is you can't accept, you can't look at the WWE as the be all and end all. You, you know, if if you really get into it, and you can't, you know, you, that's the way I look at it. I mean, I go back to, I don't really follow Ring of Honor as much anymore, and we can get into that for a whole thing in another episode. But I am aware of like, I like what Chikara does. I like watch, I like going on Daily Motion and watching a New Japan wrestling match every time, every once in a while. You know, that's that's kind of. The means, and this is where we'll get to our final parts of discussion, okay? Because technology has changed in such a way now. If a seven-year-old today was was suddenly told by their cousin or their best mate about the latest, you know, Brock Lesnar John Cena match, they can immediately go on YouTube, go on Daily Motion, go on Wikipedia, go on Google. And find out everything and watch anything they want. Mm. Do you envy that seven-year-old? I do, in the sense of, I do in the sense of back catalogue because you can. That's so much more easily accessible in terms of getting into it and learning. Could it be too intimidating for them? Because it's like, I think I think that's one of the things that comic books have trouble with, and that's why the movies do so well, because I think a lot of people would be interested in following, uh, a lot of people are interested in following Spider-Man or Superman or whatever, but, you know, you've got 75 years worth of back catalogue to go through to get any idea of who anyone is, really. I see, I see what you're saying in terms of that, but with comic books it's slightly different because it's, like, there's a multiverse. There's several yeah, different arcs. Yeah, that's even more complicated. Yeah, whereas wrestling has one arc. It doesn't. It's, it's, it doesn't. It's it, akin uh, to a soap opera. 
in the WWE, in does does Husky Harris and Bray Wyatt do they meet each other? Could they meet each other? <laughs> well, no, they couldn't meet each other, but. Do they both exist, sort of thing? You know, like you can't erase one yeah. as much as WWE tries. Like, you know, there's still the hardcore, f- there's still one fan mm. every time that start tries to start the chant. I I hated that. That got me so angry when the first, finally, the first Bray Wyatt debut, and some guys started chanting Husky Harris. I was like, mm. this is why we can't have good things because you ruin <laughs> it. That got me so angry, and that's the kind—that's the kind of smart wrestling fan that does my nutting. Well, they've not—they've not, and I don't want to sound like we're better than them or a higher level, but they've not got to the level where you and I have like discussed recently, like just now, where we like you know we accept the fun part of it. Mm. You've got to let the little things go to enjoy the big things. If I was at a live event, I would not be the person loudly talking about. Oh, he should be booked, or oh, this is what's going to happen next, or you know, because I remember, I remember the only time I went to a WWF show, I was in the back row of the London, I think it was Wembley Arena, and uh, there was like a five-year-old boy sitting next to me, and um, with his bemused parents, and I was like, ah, oh. and I did like, I threw up like the when Ric Flair came out, I threw up like the Four Horsemen hand, oh yeah, and the kid was just baffled, and I was like, I'll try and explain it to you, but. That was kind of another sort of an eye-opener, like, you know, maybe... Do you ever sometimes think, like, we should have left wrestling and let the John Cena fans get to cheer him and not have to worry Are we ruining it in a weird way? Are the smart fans ruining it every time John Cena comes out and they boo him? You know, is is it kind of a shame that when those kids go back... Like, when I get to watch Austin back in the day, the euphoria whenever he comes out, the crowd going mental... It brings a it brings a warmth and a nostalgia and a remembrance and it's just like and again you get overblown you just are amazed by how loud it is because nothing matches that now not Daniel Bryan not John Cena not anyone I'd say no are we ruining it are we ruining it for them when they watch it back and they'll see half the crowd booing them even when it was their hero do we ruin see, it for them I think this benefits us um, in a way because you get that not everyone likes to hero. Not all heroes are like these days. Like, people like to pick flaws in characters. It's sort of thing that's, you know, developed certainly in dramas over the last few years. You look at Breaking Bad, anti-hero. You look at Weeds, anti-hero. You look at, you know, um, Prison Break, technically anti-hero. You know, things of that nature. Loads of big seasons have had someone who's a flawed protagonist. Mm. And WWE has a flawed protagonist, as in you're meant to like him, but you can't. In some ways. But he's not flawed in his personality. He is a good person. He's every bit as good a person as Hogan and Austin was, and they had their flaws to them. But he's but it's just... too good a person. He's like... Yeah, but Superman's too good a person, but he's not meant to be a bad guy. Hmm. You're not meant to boo Superman. Yes, I... you're not meant to boo Superman, but there are those guys that think... Well, how, where's the vulnerability that I can show is, like, you know, attached to his character? Seems got the vulnerability. He's not, he, he is the invincible baby face to many. But to some, he's not. He's the guy who shouldn't be. Yeah, but does, should those guys be watching it still? I guess is what I'm asking. It's like moaning about the quality of toys in the Happy Meal. 
you know, you're 29 years old. Have a big man. Now, see, the toys in the Happy Meal have always got better. There's no reason to moan there. Have they? <laughs> I, I can't comment. <laughs> Happy Meal. Actually, it's one of the things I'm proudest of. I haven't had a McDonald's since Feb- the 1st of February. I, I know it's been before then, but, like, I know at least it was from mm. the 1st of February. And I do not miss McDonald's whatsoever. I really don't. Sorry? You shouldn't really at all. You shouldn't, like, you know, miss it either. But back to your core point. I don't think you can put an upper age limit on wrestling purely because you'd alienate too much of the dollar that makes it PG in a sense. No, you can't You can't put an age rating on it, but the, my fundamental question is, are we sort of ruining it for those kids? No. So that didn't happen to Hulk Hogan. That didn't happen to Bret Hart until the end and they made a storyline out of it. They weren't booing. I say so this is what I say. I remember watching um, the WWF. This was the thing that was taped for me, and I got to keep the tape. Uh, the WWF did a show at the Royal Albert Hall, where they did a battle royal, and this was like six months before SummerSlam. Well, actually, be a bit, bit more than that before SummerSlam. Like, like just under a year before SummerSlam '92, and the British Bulldog won the big battle royal. But I remember Hacksaw Jim Duggan coming out for a match against the Undertaker. And he was going around, like, going, oh, and everyone was cheering him, and I bloody loved Hacksaw Jim Duggan. I didn't care that he only had, like, three moves. I didn't care, because I was eight. Mm. And then I saw this one girl in, like, the front row, and she was booing him. She was putting her thumbs down, and she was booing him, and that genuinely upset me, because I was like, but he's... Hacksaw Jim Duggan's a good guy. You can't boo him. He's a good guy. Don't be mean. That's not right. That's not fair. It's like the kid always being on Ali Barley when you play Tig. It's not on. Play by the rules. There are going to be those that like, you know, like the goody goody and the baddy baddy sort of thing. But in the age of the internet now, that has gone. You have to accept that. And yeah. those seen the fans, those seven year olds that do come up, they live in a different era. I mean, we, mm. we can't look at it in the same way we look at, you know, you growing up with Hogan. We mm. just can't. It's a different time. In that regard, are we ruining it for them? No, because in a way we're giving them something extra to cheer against. Mm. See, the, the pro-Cena guys are having to be louder because yeah. there are anti-Cena guys. Mm. Yeah, but the problem is their shrill voices compared to the low guttural. <laughs> we can project more. You know? yeah. But, yeah, they do have the handicap of not having gone through puberty yet yeah. in many cases, but they still put more money into the company, so aren't they winning overall because they're spending more merchandise, therefore their money has more of a direction on Wait, what kids, happens. Are the kids spending more on merchandise or are the grown-ups, are you saying? Well, I'm saying that it's the kids, well, it's the grown-ups who uh, have parental responsibility for the kids ultimately, but... Mm. It's them when that's keeping Cena there. So aren't they the real winners overall? Um, they are to an extent. I just think it's diluting their enjoyment. I, I, I think it would have ruined it slightly for me if when the British Bulldog won the Intercontinental Championship at Wembley Stadium. At SummerSlam 92. At SummerSlam 92. It kind of would have ruined it for me if like half the crowd had been booing him. But that's a different night. That's hometown hero. That very rare, rarely still works against. You can hear a couple, but it, you're always going to get a couple. You All right, okay. If if, if uh, when Bret Hart won the WWF Championship at WrestleMania 10 off Yokozuna, <laughs> and if half the crowd had booed him, because I remember there were a few people booing him and cheering Owen in the first match, and I was annoyed at that. I was like, that's not that's not playing fair. <laughs> but I don't know. This can be another discussion for another time. But just fundamentally, do you think that a kid getting into wrestling now, do you think it will mean as much to them? than it did to us because they don't have to work as hard for it 
Because everything's at their fingertips for kids now. So in terms of work rate, there's less of a mystique there. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe that's an asset against it. But on the other hand, though that initial spark can be uh, nurtured far more quickly. So it's a trade-off. They don't have to wait. But on I the don't hand, think they'll they... be able to attribute it to a single event anymore. I think it will all just be a blur, a mass of images and matches and stuff that they just ran, went through in a splur in seven days and then... When they try and remember it seven years later, they won't. Initially, yes. You don't have to work as hard. To be a wrestling fan now, you don't have to work as hard. No, you don't. But the trade-off is, whilst you have access to more content, it means you remember the more memorable stuff. The stuff that we we remember that we really shouldn't. Like the Goldust stuff that you mentioned earlier on. Is is that, and I don't want to get like my smart nose on and get upturned about it, but... It's not prime wrestling content. No, no. That's not good. You know, you look back in hindsight, a lot of the Attitude Era does not hold up. No. Especially through smarky eyes. But I'll tell you what, we'll wind this down now, and there's a whole load of other topics we can talk about another time. Do you have any Twitters or anything people can follow you on, Simon? I'm Simon Cross Free on Twitter. Quite easy to find. Uh, Yourself? Yeah, I'm Lorcan Mullen, L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A for Apple N. And if you want to read my book, it's available as an e-book on Amazon. It's called Confessions of a Smart Wrestling Fan. Mm-hmm. The show is pretty good. I've seen it myself. Um, yeah. I haven't got the e-book purely because I don't have a Kindle. Yes, I need but... to try and get a published version of it available at some point in the future. Mm-hmm. But Those of you who have Kindles should definitely get it. Yes, you definitely should. John Lister likes it from Power Slam. So that's that's a that's an endorsement. Or oh, I used to be from Power Slam back in the day when I, he was one of the people that got me into wrestling. Smarkton was John mm. Lister, and so for him to give it a good review really did mean the world to me. So I think that's pretty much. We'll wrap it up there. If any of you have any questions for us that you want to send us via Twitter or what have you, then by all means do so. And uh, we'll hopefully we haven't got a second subject uh, decided yet, but. But also, like we say, we're looking into the future, so maybe you've got a huge rich back catalogue to get started on. <laughs> and I hope that this has just whetted your appetite. For uh, further content. Yep. So, is there anything left for you to say, Simon? Uh, nothing else, except um, I hope our listeners have a good night or day or whenever they're listening. I mean, the rest of what you're doing, enjoy the rest of it and have a good, have a good time. So, for myself, Lorcan Mullen, and for Simon Cross, goodbye, grappling fans. <laughs>